listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and reflections with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 301, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 11, Paragraphs 190 to 201. 190. In order to compose this difference, the apostles called together the faithful and spoke to them, It is not meet that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we ourselves will give all our time to prayer and to the ministry of the word, while these men may solve your doubts and difficulties in regard to the support of the faithful. Acts 6.2 All approved of this expedient, and without regard to nationality, they elected the seven men mentioned by St. Luke. The first and principal one was St. Stephen, whose faith and wisdom was universally known. These seven were superintendents over the six first ones and over the widows without excluding the Greeks, for they looked to virtue rather than nationality. It was St. Stephen who by his admirable wisdom and holiness extinguished the resentment of the Greeks and smoothed over their differences with the Hebrews, so that at least during the months in which he lived all again united like children of Christ in sincere charity, without partiality or distinction of persons. 191. But St. Stephen did not, on this account, neglect preaching or arguing with the unbelieving Jews. As these Jews could not murder him in secret, nor overcome his wisdom in public, they vented their mortal hatred in seeking false testimony against him. Acts 6.1. They accused him of blasphemy against God and against Moses, or inveighing continually against the holy temple and the law, and of asserting that Jesus would destroy as well the one as the other. As the witnesses loudly proclaimed their slander, and the people were being roused by their falsehoods, they brought him into the hall where the priests were gathered as the judges of these accusations. The presiding judge first took the deposition of St. Stephen before the court. The saint took occasion to prove with highest wisdom that Christ was the true Messiah, promised to them in the Holy Scriptures, and in conclusion he reprehended them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, so strongly that they could find no answer, and gnashing their teeth, they stopped their ears in order not to be obliged to hear his words. 192. The Queen of Heaven knew of the seizure of St. Stephen, and in order to animate him in her name for the approaching conflict, 
she immediately sent him one of her angels, even before he entered into dispute with the priests. Through the holy angel, St. Stephen sent her answer that he went with joy to confess his master and with unflinching heart to give his life for him as he had always desired. Through the same messenger, he begged her as the kindest teacher and mother to assist him and from her retirement to send him her blessing, since his not having been able to obtain her partaking benediction was the only regret he felt now when he was about to lay down his life according to her wishes. These last words of St. Stephen moved the maternal bosom of Mary to even greater love and esteem than hitherto, and she desired to attend upon him in person at this hour, when her beloved disciple was to give up his life for the honor and defense of his God and Redeemer. But the Blessed Mother hesitated at the difficulties which would arise in her passing through the streets of Jerusalem at a time of popular excitement, and also in finding an opportunity of speaking publicly to St. Stephen. 193. She prostrated herself in prayer, begging the divine favor for her beloved disciple, and she presented to the Lord her desire of helping him in the last hour. The clemency of the Most High, which is always at the beck of his spouse and mother, and which was anxious to enhance the death of his faithful disciple and servant Stephen, sent from heaven a multitude of angels, who with those of her guard should carry their queen to the place where the saint then was. And immediately the mandate of the Lord was executed. The angels placed upon her a refulgent cloud and bore her to the tribunal where the high priest was examining into the charges against St. Stephen. The vision of the Queen of Heaven was hidden from all except the saint. He, however, saw her before him, supported in the air by the holy angels in the cloud of heavenly splendor and glory. This extraordinary favor inflamed anew the divine love and the ardent zeal of this champion of the honor of God. In addition to the joy of seeing Mary, the splendors of the Queen shone from the countenance of St. Stephen, so that it gleamed with wonderful beauty and light. 194. On account of this unwanted spectacle, the Jews listened with great attention to his words, as is evident from the sixth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Those that were in the hall looked upon St. Stephen and saw his countenance shining as that of an angel, and without a doubt he seemed to them more than man. God did not wish to hide that much of the effects of the presence of the great queen, in order that the perfidious Jews might be so much the more confounded for not accepting the truth preached in such a miraculous way. They did not know the cause of this supernatural beauty of St. Stephen, for they were not worthy to know it. Nor was it a proper occasion to make it known, and therefore St. Luke did not speak of it at that time. The Most Blessed Mary spoke to Stephen words of life and of wonderful consolation. She assisted him with the blessings of sweetness and asked the Eternal Father to fill him anew with the Holy Spirit. All happened according to the prayers of the Queen, and he manifested his invincible courage and wisdom to the princes of the Jews, proving by the unanswerable testimony of all the ancient scriptures, from the calling of Abraham to the kings and prophets, that Christ was their Messiah and Savior. 195. At the end of this discourse, though, the intercession of the Queen, and as a reward of the unconquered zeal of St. Stephen, the heavens opened. And the Savior appeared to him, standing at the right hand of the Father, in the act of assisting him in the conflict. St. Stephen raised his eyes and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and its glory, and in it I see Jesus at the right hand of God himself. Acts 7.55 But the obdurate perfidy of the Jews esteemed these words as blasphemy, and they stopped their ears in order not to hear them. 
As the punishment of blasphemers, according to the law, was death by stoning, they passed upon him this sentence. Then they all surrounded him like wolves and dragged him from the city with great haste and noise. At this juncture, the Blessed Mother gave him her benediction, and speaking to him words of encouragement and endearment, she left him in charge of her angels, whom she ordered to accompany him and to remain with him until they should present his soul to the Most High. Only one of the guardian angels in company with those that had descended from heaven as her escort to St. Stephen now returned with her to the Senecal. 196. From her retirement, the great lady, by a special vision, saw all that happened in the martyrdom of St. Stephen, how they led him forth from the city with a great haste and violence, shouting that he was a blasphemer worthy of death, how Saul was among them more zealous than the rest, guarding the vestments of those who had taken them off to stone St. Stephen, how the shower of stones fell upon the saint and wounded him, some of them remaining fixed in his head and stained by his blood. Great and tender was the compassion of our queen at such cruel martyrdom, but still greater her joy in seeing St. Stephen meeting it so gloriously. The kindest mother failed him not in her tearful prayers from her oratory. When the invincible martyr saw himself near to death, he prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then on his knees he exclaimed with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Acts 7.59 In these prayers, he was supported by those of the Blessed Mary, who was filled with incredible joy to see the faithful disciple imitating so closely his divine master by praying for his enemies and persecutors and commending his spirit into the hands of his creator and redeemer. 197. Covered with the wounds from the shower of stones thrown by the Jews, St. Stephen expired, while they became still more hardened in their perfidy. Immediately the angels of the queen bore his pure soul into the presence of God, in order to be crowned with eternal honor and glory. Christ our Savior received him with the words of the gospel, Friend, ascend higher, come to me, thou faithful servant, for since thou hast been faithful in small things and for a short time, I shall reward thee with abundance, and I shall confess thee before my father as my faithful servant and friend, just as thou hast confessed me before men. All the angels, patriarchs, prophets, and all the saints were filled with a special accidental joy on that day, and welcomed the invincible martyr as the first fruits of the passion of the Lord. And as the captain of those that should follow him in martyrdom, this most fortunate soul was placed very high in glory, and close to the most sacred humanity of Christ our Savior. The Most Blessed Mother participated in the joy through a vision granted to her, and in praise of the Most High she composed hymns and canticles with her angels. Those that returned after leaving St. Stephen in heaven gave thanks to her for the favor shown to that saint in securing him his eternal happiness. 198. St. Stephen died about nine months after the passion death of Christ our Redeemer on the 26th day of December, the same date on which the church now celebrates his feast. On that day he had completed his 34th year, which was the addition of one day, was also the 34th year of the birth of the Savior. Hence, St. Stephen was born one day later than Jesus, being only twelve months older, and his birth and death happened on the same day of the year, as was clearly shown to me. The prayer of the Blessed Virgin of St. Stephen merited the conversion of Saul, as we will see later on. In order that this conversion might be so much the more glorious, the Lord permitted Saul from that day on to take upon himself the task of persecuting and destroying the Church of God, for he began to signalize himself above all other Jews in the persecution which the wrath of the Jews, highly inflamed by the death of St. Stephen, now began to stir up against the new believers. 
The disciples secured the body of the invincible martyr and buried it with great mourning, because they now had lost such a wise and strong defender of the law of grace. I have dilated upon his history, because I have been shown the great holiness of the first martyr, and because he was such a devout and highly favored disciple of Most Holy Mary. Instruction which the great queen of the angels gave me. 199. My daughter, the divine mysteries, when they were presented and explained to such men, as are accustomed only to the perception of the earthly and sensible things, appear to be insignificant, especially if, at the same time, their souls are not purified from sin and cleared of the darkness of guilt. For the human faculties, which, besides being of limited capacity, are embarrassed by their attention and affection to what is apparent, draw away from the truth, and being accustomed to obscurity and dazzled by the light, on this account, the earthly and animal man conceives such distorted and low ideas of the wonderful works of the Most High, 1 Corinthians 2.14, and also of the works which I do for them day after day. They tread underfoot the gems, and they do not distinguish the bread of the children from the gross food of irrational brutes. All that is heavenly and divine seems to them inspired, because they fail to perceive the savor of the senses. Thus, they become incapable of attending to the high things and of profiting from them the signs of life and the understanding contained in them. 200. But the Most High, my dearest, has sought to preserve thee from this danger and has given thee knowledge and light, improving thy senses and faculties, in order that thou, being made capable and enlivened by the force of divine grace, mayest perceive and distinguish without error the mysteries and sacraments which I manifest to thee. Although I have many times told thee that in the mortal life thou shalt never penetrate or value them in their entirety, yet thou canst and thou must, according to thy power, show the appreciation of them by learning and imitating my works. From the variety and bitterness of my pains and sorrows, with which my whole life was interwoven, even after I had returned from the right hand of my Son in heaven to the earth, thou wilt understand that my own life must be of the same texture, if thou wishest to follow me as my faithful disciple." In the prudent and impartial humility with which I govern the apostles and all the faithful, thou hast an example of how thou must proceed in the government of thy subjects, in meekness and modesty, with humble dignity, and especially with acceptation of persons, and without making a distinction in favor of any person in those things that can and ought to be common to all. This facilitates the true charity and humility of those that govern, for if they show these virtues, they will not be so dictatory in their commands, nor so presumptuous in their opinion, nor will they pervert the order of justice, as is nowadays done with so much damage throughout Christianity. Pride, vanity, self-interest, self-love, and the love of their own relations have infected nearly all the course and conduct of government, and hence all has gone wrong, and all the governments have been filled with justice and thrown into frightful confusion. 201. In the most ardent zeal which I had for the honor of my Son and true God, for the preaching and defense of His holy name, in my joy at seeing the divine will fulfilled, and at seeing the fruit of the passion and death of Christ spreading with the church among souls in the favors which I procured for the glorious martyr St. Stephen, as the first who offered his life for that object. In all this, my daughter, thou wilt find greatest motives for praising the Most High in His divine works, so worthy of veneration and glory. And thou wilt likewise find cause for imitating me, and blessing his immense goodness, for the wisdom he gave me, in order to fulfill all his holy will and pleasure. This concludes our reading today for day number 301. 
We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 11, Paragraphs 190 to 201. Maria Avogadro's account of the martyrdom of St. Stephen aligns quite well with that of the Acts of the Apostles. Of course, she fills in a bit more than what we have from the scriptures, such as her relationship with St. Stephen and how she sends her angel, how she consoles him and comforts him and emboldens him in the work that he is undertaking. I always think of St. Stephen as he sees the heavens open, as he sees the Lord Jesus. And he says at the end of his life, into your hands I commend my spirit, which are the same words that really Jesus says as an entrustment to the Father from the cross. And St. Stephen then becomes the first martyr of the church and how the church must have looked to him, if we think about it, that they probably implored his intercession. And we heard, and I guess I never put two and two together, of course, I knew that Saul was present at the martyrdom of St. Stephen. The scriptures tell us that. But I never considered the conversion of St. Paul, or the conversion of Saul to Paul, came about really because of the prayers of St. Stephen. That now, because he's with God, he's interceding. He's obtaining God's favor. And so St. Stephen ends up bringing about the conversion of St. Paul. The martyrs are powerful intercessors, and we would do good to ask their intercession. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.